Even in an ever-changing world, only the starlit sky will not podcast. That's not their job. It's our job here at the Awesome Cast. folks and welcome back or welcome first or welcome since or well just welcome to the awesome cast your podcast for everything awesome i'm basil i'm kevin and i'm doug and that's us how y'all doing right now or lately it's been a minute since we've done a podcast podcast uh surviving <laughs> i could be better but nothing too bad nothing to complain about nice nice like i don't know about y'all but I've been having some really weird COVID dreams lately that are also, like, merged with, like, going to anime con dreams. <laughs> where I have had a few where I'll be at the con and I look around and people are either wearing their masks wrong or just not wearing them at all. And going like, oh god, why... Y'all, it's not over yet. I know we're all here at this con, which is already wrong, but at least wear your masks correctly. Oh, God. And then last night, I had this extra weird dream that I was driving to a con with my friend, well, really our friend, Darlene. She did the maid cafe stuff at Hamacon and other things, and her... I believe still fiance, maybe Huntsman at this point. Who knows in the COVID years what they ended up doing. Anyways, he was half the security team. So I was riding in their car driving to a con or riding to a con. And for some reason, it, the car was being powered with this big touchscreen, but it was powered by Windows 95. I know this because all on the screen it had was the Windows 95 logo. And I get there, and next thing I know, I forgot my mask. Oh, no. And I felt terrible. Like, oh, God, I can't go in there. And they're like, why? I don't have a mask. Oh, and no. thankfully, Chelsea and her husband, Aaron, stopped by, and they're like, don't worry. Aaron's going to drive you back to go get your mask. And I'm like, oh, thank God. And that's when I woke up. Oh. It was I, so I, weird. I've had... I, in fact, actually did, in the middle of the night, just have a random panic wake up where I just knew something was terribly wrong. Nothing was wrong. <laughs> My dreams have been pretty weird lately, but that's pretty standard. Although, I guess, speaking of Hamacon, I was on the Otaku Melancholy podcast talking about Hamacon, and that was a fun conversation I had with those those kids, and and good on them. They're, they're still doing this podcast thing, and and congrats. I, I'm glad they're still going and they're still putting out good stuff. But speaking of stuff that we're enjoying, how about some moments of awesome? It's a moment of awesome! Yeah, there it is. It's been a minute. <laughs> so what'd you settle on, Kevin? I, I think 
fate has forced me to stop for a moment and talk about uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Huh. Is is that it's good? A, it, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I really loved it. I'm not sure if it's actually good. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it does. I do, in fact, say it's absolutely necessary that you've seen the other two Bill and Ted movies, especially Bogus Journey. I know it's, uh, I recall at some point not liking Bogus Journey, but I yeah, learned Bogus to Journey love it. Was not, Bogus Journey was not as good as the Excellent yeah. Adventure. But I kind of learned to love it over the years anyways. <laughs> but, you know, it's, I like seeing the aging Bill and Ted, who are still very much just Bill and Ted. You know, they somehow still haven't managed to unite the world with their music. They've got a couple of daughters who are just them, but girls. Nice. I, I love the daughters. The daughters are the best part of the movie. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm seeing Bill. This is the first Bill and Ted I've seen in a post-Fate Stay Night universe. I kept thinking about Fate Stay Night while I was watching it. Especially since it does involve a plot about the complete destruction of space and time. And, you know, but long story short, Jimi Hendrix is definitely a saver class. But uh, Bill and Ted try to figure out, try to find their song by stealing it from themselves in the future. Their daughters go traveling through time to assemble a band to back them up. Huh. And it's, it's very, like, you know, somehow... Bill and Ted are just still just amusing as hell to watch do their thing. They're still as weird and codependent as ever. So are their daughters. Bill and Ted's wives, the medieval princesses, are actually probably more to do in this movie than either of the other two. Well, I'm uh, glad they're still around. I was vaguely worried that they just, like, yeah. didn't come back or whatever. Like, they, they're on their third set of actresses for them but you know it's <laughs> oh but, but they did get just they did get as many of the original cast members as were humanly possible to actually come back for the movie and that 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 was nice <laughs> well that's good it was just a lot of fun to watch and it's like there's a part of me that's like the the, the critic part of my brain that you know since we decided to start doing podcasts one day occasionally kicks in whether i want it to or not is like is this actually a good movie and i don't know if it is and i'm not sure that it matters <laughs> it probably doesn't it's like if you like bill and ted and you remember liking bill and ted i 100 percent say go and watch it Maybe wait for it to get a little cheaper because, you know, I dropped 25 bucks to own it digitally. And I don't know if I actually should have done that. But <laughs> I feel like I got my $25 worth of enjoyment out of it. Well, that's mm. good. That's good. Like, I, maybe I, rent I, it. I want to see it. I, I haven't seen it yet, but I do yeah. want to. Maybe rent it or wait for it to, you know, drop in price and, you know, or hit real video. But... Or I don't know if it's like, oh man, I do like me some Bill and Ted. I don't know, go out and rent it and buy it right now if that sounds like a thing to do. <laughs> it's probably better than the New Mutants, and you shouldn't go to the theaters anyways. <laughs> That's true. Sadly, it looks like, as of this recording, 
you have to rent Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but Bogus Journey is free on Hulu, maybe. Well, that's the important one to see, so... The only thing I gotta say, Bogus Journey, there's actually some pretty good references to The Seventh Steel, which I did not appreciate as a younger movie watcher. (laughs) Well, there you go. Doug, what you got going on? Two things. Let's see. I am playing the new Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, which is not new in any way. It is basically a port of the old Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles from the GameCube. I'm having a lot of fun with it. There there are so, there are some problems with it, but it I think that the multiplayer co uh the multiplayer adjusts for not having to use uh the link cable pretty well, I think, and, and the fact that you're having everybody work together co-op online it does put a little one of the main complaints that other people have is that you can't really do uh the local co-op anymore all your co-op has to be online and that is kind of lame i don't know why they didn't include just a local co-op that's exactly the same as the online co-op but they didn't and and that's that but at the same time it's a lot easier to actually play with other people now because it's online. You know, before when it was this whole big deal of having to get all the controllers and all having to have Game Boy Advances, like I mostly played this game alone back when I back when I really played it. So it's really fun actually getting to play it with people for a change. And so much of it, things that were nearly impossible when I was doing it alone are just so much easier with four people. But at the same time, a lot of the things I could do pretty easily alone are much more complicated with four people. But I am loving it, and I'm just having a huge nostalgia trip on it. And I forced my husband, Barry, to buy it. And Barry, after playing the first dungeon, looked at me and said, So... This game, I'm not sure that it's, oh, what's that word? Fun? (laughs) (laughs) But I I made him play several more levels anyway. And it it does get better. I think that the first, that unless you have the nostalgia goggles on, that first dungeon is probably the most poorly adapted. But as you start going and as you get better... Uh, it gets much more playable, and I think people should stick with it. Yeah, I need to. I, I played a bunch when I had you over, and we got to play it at first, but I haven't really had a chance to pick it back up since then. But I want to. Yeah. Yeah, I was never that enthusiastic about any of the Crystal Chronicles games, largely because that like first one like just seemed like a huge pain in the butt to get anyone together to play. <laughs> It was a little bit of a pain in the butt, but it was completely payable, playable solo, which the same is true for this game. But why would you play it solo uh, since it's so easy to join up in other people's teams? Okay, so another another give and take criticism. You only pro- you only do progress your story for the person who is hosting the group. Huh. A lot of people see this as a negative. I would like to promote this as a positive. You see, uh, when Crystal Chronicles originally came out and I was having to play it solo, I often had to go back and do the same dungeon over and over and over again because that's how you level up is by completing the dungeon and getting uh, and getting an artifact which adds to your stats. 
if you didn't want to get stomped in year three, during year one and two, you had to like replay the same dungeons over and over and over again. This way, being able to do it with other people where they're getting their progress, but you're not necessarily getting yours, it makes it much easier to do that. Because that was always a part of the game. It was always something you were going to have to do. It's just a lot easier to do it now. Because even though you're not progressing the story or anything, you are getting the chance to obtain an artifact that does increase your stats. Exactly. And you still get all, like, the loot drops. Like, so the plans for a better weapon drop, you still get that. And, and you only... You have to fill up your little crystal chalice three times a year, and then it moves you on to the next year. So it's it's a great way to back in some some leveling opportunity that wasn't actually there in the original game. Hmm. And it makes sense how they're doing it, if I really think about it, because the original design of the game was that everyone was playing in the same town, and you were actually just progressing whoever Seifai you were playing under. They would make different characters that you would play with, but it wasn't your save. It was somebody else's save that you were playing on. So this way, you get to have your own progression. And I think that's also why they designed it where they were, because it's still trying to adhere to the, I think, the base code that was the original game because it straight up is more of a remaster. It's not a remake, although they did get, I believe her name is Donna Burke who did the theme songs and all the narration. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of miss the old narration and the old song. I liked that a little bit better, but this is, this is still good. They also, they also, um, I think included a new character design per race. Uh, in the original game, there were only four character designs per per race and gender, and, and you had to pick between those four. Um, but now there's now there's five, so every race and gender has a new little like character that everybody can be. There's also an interesting system uh, where you can play as named NPCs, uh, not NPCs. Yeah, yeah, named non-player characters instead of like doing the little mini game that the uh, mini game on the uh, on the Game Boy Advance that unlocked in in the original version that's just happening in the overworld now and you get that for free and instead with the Moogle stamps you you can unlock sort of like these custom character skins and it's it's pretty hmm. neat i see a lot of different people running around now and just like in 2003 originally i'm still in playing the short character with a bucket on their head <laughs> i that's just what I gravitate to. And I realized back when I thought back to when I first played this game, oh, so many years ago, I went, oh, crap, that's what I did last time, too. Yeah, well, I like buckets on heads. What can I say? I'm playing a white mage. I normally don't play as female characters. I kind of hate it. But it's the one that has the white mage costume, and so that's the one I'm going to, be, I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll I'm going to talk about two things, then. Ha-ha. Okay. The first thing, I'm going to talk about Moon! Moon! Or, it's it's, the full version of the name is Moon Remix RPG Adventure. This is a Switch re-release of a 1997 video game for the PlayStation 1. 
it is referred to as by the designers as an anti-RPG. It's by several folks that were who used to be at Square Soft back in the day, and they sort of struck off to make their own development studio, did their own games, and they really thought of them some things that they didn't see happening. Like they looked at the JRPG, especially things like Dragon Quest and your Yusha or your hero going off to do all these things and saving the world. And they wondered what it was like for everyone who wasn't the hero. (laughs) And so that's the game they made. And you actually start off as this little boy or girl or whoever you want to think they are. And they turn on their PlayStation and they start playing essentially Dragon Quest. You start off getting this, and it becomes clearly a parody pretty quickly on, because it gives you this prologue where the amount, they give you the same amount of time, like a few seconds to read it, but they keep adding in more text every time they transition to the point where it's clearly you're not meant to read everything. Like, for example, and such said in the book, the trilogy of terror in chapter three, excerpt four in book five of the trilogy of terror, (laughs) you know, clearly not being serious about it. And they just keep lopping on more and more text till I'm like, yo, I can't read. Oh wait, I'm not supposed to read you. Am I? And then you start and it straight up looks like just a giant character sprite and everything is super blocky and you have to talk to the king to say you got to go kill the dragon. You talk to the townspeople are like, hell yeah, you're the hero. Oh man, you're the hero. You're so cool. Maybe we'll get married one day. You talk to some person else. Yeah, hero, take all my stuff. You'll need it for the adventure. <laughs> and then it moves save files to later on the game where you... You attack a slime, and you're hitting the slime, and the slime's doing one damage to you, you're doing one damage to it, and eventually the game goes, boy, this is sure taking a long time, huh? Let's bust out the good stuff, so the hero casts holy, and smites the ever-living crap out of the, out of the, out of the slime. And it gets to the point where you're finally at the big dragon, and this all takes like five, ten minutes, and you're just wailing on this dragon, like doing 9,999 damage, like a hit. And clearly the game just starts repeating that over going, you're doing 900 damage, you're doing 900 damage. And then you hear this really bad pixelated mom voice in English, go to bed, it's late at night. Go to bed. So you go to bed. And then the character wakes up and they realize for some reason the TV screen's still on. And then, oh, the kid gets isekai'd. <laughs> this game came out in 1997, by the way. But you well, can—I is- mean, isekai has existed forever. I cite Escaflone. I cite Wizard of Oz. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyways, so the kid gets isekai'd, but he, as he comes into the, into this world of Moon. He is invisible. No one can see him. He can still talk to stuff. He can still touch stuff. But everyone thinks like they're hearing things. 
until you talk to this old lady who's this grandma and she's like oh oh i'm blind but you must be my my grandson everyone said he died last year but clearly you're just him and he's fine that's good here wear your clothes and so you now you're this invisible person who's wearing an outfit so now everyone acknowledges that you're real (laughs) (laughs) and now the world is no longer blocky it looks like a playstation one game but with pretty neat sprite art and you also discover that all these uh, townspeople have like personalities and daily routines and wants and dreams that you can talk to them about. And the actual whole point is that the hero is still here. He's a much gnarly looking dude and he's just blowing away monsters left and right for, for no reason at all. Half of these are just monsters that were just there. And so your job is actually find their souls, reunite them with their bodies so that the aliens can come take them back to preserve them. What? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This game is awesome and is actually the reason why I haven't been playing Crystal Chronicles because I'm like, what's going on? The other trick is that you have like an action limit that they don't really tell you very well. The actual development studio who, uh, who came back Moon, by the way, was also one of the primary influences, apparently, for Undertale. Just the concept of it. Mm-hmm. Because Toby Fox couldn't play it because it was rumored it was going to come out in 1997 in America, but it never did. So people who knew about it were knew about it, but couldn't play it. And apparently, one of the main uh, directors and developers on Moon eventually got to meet and talk with Toby Fox and... Toby was like, man, it's really, really sucks. I never got to play Moon. Why did, why couldn't I play Moon? He's like, well, things didn't work out. I mean, I guess I could look into it. And it turns out the uh, development studio that originally owned it, the rights are now with Kodansha. Kodansha's like, yeah, you can translate and publish it in English. I don't care. <laughs> so they got some good folks to translate. It's got a really good translation. They, they uh, worked on it and they got a lot of developers on the Japanese side who did it. They're like, yeah, let's put this game out. Sure. We remember back when we were like, you know, five guys in a room and, you know, just doing whatever we thought was cool. Let's let's put that out. Anyways, they also translate the manual online so people can actually read it because it's it's more of an adventure game than it is. An, it's not really an RPG because you have this action limit but as you're returning the souls back to the monsters and also helping out people here and there, like the townspeople, you actually collect love. And the more love you get, that's what you level up with. And it just gives you more actions you can do in a day. Hmm. So it's actually this really crazy adventure game that's set as an RPG. It is super interesting. It is super neat. I, I highly recommend Everyone should play it. It's like only like it's not it's like just under twenty bucks on the eShop on Switch. Which is like the perfect platform to play it. The one downside is that it looks like a PlayStation 1 RPG from 1997, but that's still good for me. I, mean, I, I like Saga Frontier. <laughs> yeah. It actually kind of looks like Saga Frontier, no lie. But good. <laughs> unless it's you and you like saga frontier which in case go you 
Yeah. That's me. Un- only me. <laughs> and then the other thing I do want to talk about, because I was going to talk about it last time, but didn't, is Dicktown. <laughs> which is a cartoon that as may only speak to me, but it speaks to me pretty hard, so I'm down with it. It's an animated show that's a part of the Cake Anthology series done on um, FXX. But you can also watch it on Hulu um, either as a part of Cake or now as its own show on Hulu. And it's created and written by John Hodgman and David Reese. Yeah, John Hodgman, he used to be on The Daily Show back in the day. Mm -hmm. He's written many books. He does the Judge John Hodgman podcast. David Reese did the uh, Going Deep with David Reese TV show where he would like wh- he would try to get into the science and, and the goofiness of, you know, trying to take a nap. He also did a really cool thing of where he he wrote a book and a video about how to sharpen pencils artisanally. Oh, yeah. 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 I know who that guy is now. I remember that video. And so the concept of Dicktown is pretty simple. They live in this town called Richardsville, North Carolina, hence Dicktown. And Hodgman, who is now, who plays the character of John Hunchman, he is, he, 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 as a child, he was a famous boy detective, like, you know, Encyclopedia Brown, only now he's in his fifties and he's still a famous boy detective in that he's still solving crimes for teenagers. And David Pilfoy, played by David Reese, is his former high school bully who's now his best friend. And it's very much these older, you know, 40, 50-somethings interacting with teens, solving crimes, and more or less older people trying to relate to the younger generation. And... That's my life. <laughs> Except I don't solve crime. Maybe I should start. I don't know. Eh, if we ever get around to defunding the police, it might become a useful side oh, That's true. I didn't I didn't think about that, Kevin. <laughs> but I I very much enjoy Dicktown. Everyone should watch it. It's it's a good time. It's on Hulu. And speaking of good times, sports anime I finally did it, y'all. I convinced some of the main awesome cast people to watch a sports anime. I. It's this, not the first time. It's, it's not, not the, the first time. It's not the first time, but this might be the first one y'all finished. Uh, nope. <laughs> we all watch Yuri on Ice. What are you talking uh, exactly. about? Exactly. Oh, okay. That's exactly what I was thinking. That's true. <laughs> That's true. And like Yuri on Ice, we had ulterior motives for watching this one. <laughs> Yeah, we sure did. <laughs> All right, fine, fine. It's the second time. It's still a win for me. <laughs> like, the first time at least had something like prestigious, like ice skating. Nah, man, this is soft tennis. This is the sport <laughs> that no one plays. No one outside of Japan. <laughs> well, not even... Anyways, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're talking about Stars Aligned. Bye. 
And we're back, talking about Stars Align, or Hoshii no Sora, if you need the Japanese, which you actually, you may want, as it is in fact, apparently a reference to the Tanabata Festival. Ah, uh, good old Tanabata. So, it's a show, ostensibly, about soft tennis, a, b- a young middle school boy soft tennis team. It's totally about soft tennis, at least till we get the spoilers. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, this show was conceived and directed and written, and sort of the, the creative force wanting to make this happen is this person. His name is Kazuki Akane. He got his start as production runner for various Gundam things like Gundam Double Zeta and Shower's Counterattack. He also got his start as an episode director on Jushin Liger. So, you know, a going a guy pro wrestling action thing. Well, the anime is not actually about pro wrestling. That's just, there is a wrestler who made the show his gimmick. That's right. <laughs> the show is more of a, sort of a mecha show. Although it's more like guy climbs into a big monster and fights things like it's a robot show. Which is great because, in fact, my first real experience with him was actually when Kevin showed me the vision of Escaflone. Yeah, I, you know, I guess technically I think I saw Shark Counterattack Raw with no subtitles before I saw Escaflone, but Escaflone was my first real exposure also. <laughs> Escaflone is a great anime. It, yeah. It, it is. Which was written by Soji Kawamori, but directed by Kazuki Akane. Yeah. He's also done some awesome shows, which also made more sense when I thought about it, especially uh, Noin, To Your Other Self. Yeah, that is also a kind of an odd show with a lot of character focus. Uh, It's... Noin is also a really great show. It's sort of like the Psych 101 course of delving into the possibility of alternate universes and what that actually would mean in quantum physics. Baby's first quantum physics. That's what it is. Baby's first quantum (laughs) physics anime. (laughs) Uh, Which is kind of funny because this show, Stars Alight, is way more down to earth. There is... Oh, yeah, yeah. It is very deliberately rendered very realistically. (laughs) He's also done things um, as a storyboard artist for things like Turn A Gundam, Samurai Champloo, Cowboy Bebop. You may have heard of these things. For this show, he teamed up with Studio 8-Bit, who have done things like Aquarion Evil, which I know Kevin enjoys. And that time I got reincarnated as a slime, which I really enjoyed, which I didn't think I would, but I did. Yeah, every so often they get the Isekai formula right. But, you know. <laughs> Look, they all can't be Moon Kevin. No, no, they can't. <laughs> but, you know, once in a while, somebody will get it right. I, sh- I would like to also point out the music is done by uh, Jizue, which is a Japanese instrumental jazz fusion band from Kyoto. Which was perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whenever they start jamming on piano as they're doing their sports thing, it's 
always like, oh, oh, it's about to get down. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the about music, to go the hell down. The music accompanied what was going on in the show very well, which is, you know, always nice. <laughs> I, I like to think that the vision of Escaflone really got prepared for that sort of thing. Yeah. We're going with Yoko Kano. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's like, I mean, I think Vision of Escaflone was like, actually a show that spoiled me and went well now all anime better have soundtracks that work as well with their show as this does of course they don't but you know now i expect it <laughs> and stars align does it yeah. now i will forewarn everyone much like the vision of escaflone out of nowhere stars align got its episode count cut in half yeah yeah and it's pretty obvious too uh yeah the, At least the, with the ending, the ending oh. is right now on a cliffhanger, and I want it to resolve so bad. But... Yeah. Yeah. With Escaflote, they can make the choice of, well, we're going to put the story front and center. Some of the action is going to have to be a little bit sidelined, but we're getting the story in there. Unfortunately, with Stars Align, it's like, oops, all story. <laughs> yeah, and. Kazuki Akane could have had the chance probably to somehow truncate the show somehow, but I don't think he felt that would do the show a service. Like, it would definitely be a disservice. Yeah, so unfortunately, it's basically half a show, and we don't know if we're going to ever get that second half. <laughs> now, you may ask, Basil, does that mean the show, which may never finish... Should I watch these 12 episodes or so? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yeah, this is like... I don't usually watch sports anime without some ulterior reason to watch it. Uh, so, you know, this show does have one, but it was... <laughs> it's, it's definitely worth watching. And I've argued this on many a podcast... That sports anime can be regulated or distinctivized or categorized, that's the word, into two different kinds, more or less. One is your sports-ass anime sports anime. Things like Ace of Diamond, Prince of Tennis, Kuroko's Basketball, uh, the new one I'm watching, Ahria no Sora, who, which is another basketball show. They're very much about their sport. Yeah. And that's why you're watching it. It's your Captain Tsubasa's. Yeah, Even your, like, your Ice Shield 21's. Usually, unless they just happen to grab me for some reason, the sports animes I don't watch. <laughs> well, Ice Shield 21... Ice Shield 21's kind of in its own category. Not really because it is, but because it's almost more like a cooking anime than it is like, a, like <laughs> another sports anime. Like, it's so <laughs> out there in terms of, like, it, like, it has reaction shots. It's so, cr like, crazy in the tactics that it takes. It's almost a different beast entirely. Well, I mean, but... sure. And its sequel show, Dr. Stone. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I watched a fair bit of Ice Shield 21, partly because the old anime club was kind of enthusiastic about it for a while, but that, that got me hooked a little bit. <laughs> Ice Shield 21 was the kind of... Was the kind of show where if you didn't know a lot about football, you could watch it and it would bit by bit explain it to you. 
because Japan doesn't know what football is, or at least not American football. <laughs> well, it, I would argue that that's that that's one of the main goals of a sports anime is it's trying to get you into the sport that the author loves so much. Yeah. And that's one kind of sports anime. And in fact, I would actually argue that Yuri on Ice is actually in this category. It just also happened to have this really good romance B plot <laughs> that was so good it interlocks with all the sports stuff. Yes. Yes. I Anything good you have to say about Yuri on Ice, I will... I feel Yuri uh, on Ice kind of straddles the line on that one simultaneously being... Well, there's a lot very... to compare. Uh, when it comes to Stars Align and Yuri on Ice, there actually is a lot to compare about. For one, the open the opening animation, animation with like the water splashes and the way they mm. write the title is very similar. Yeah, yeah. I think I do not know if Yuri on Ice, its existence, helped influence Kazuki Akane to make Stars Align, but I feel that this show would not have gotten greenlit except for the enormous success that Yuri on Ice had. Yeah. Uh, because oh, this show does so many things that are just absolutely great. So one of the things that I look for in anime, and I'm disappointed in anime a lot, but this show does not disappoint me, is just simple representation. Like, are there gay characters? Do they, like, is the whole is the whole focus of the show their, their romance, which is not good, or is, uh... Or, or are they actually are they actual characters? Sort of like the inverse of the sort of like the inverse of the test where two women talking on a screen can <laughs> do they have names and do they uh it, do they have names and do they uh talk about talk about something other men. than a man uh <laughs> for, for 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 my for my test like are there char- are there gay characters present are they important to the plot? And is the plot not about their relationship? It, it's a more stringent test than you would think. Yeah, of uh, course. And Japan has a has a problem with anime where you have characters who are almost very nearly certainly gay, but they'll never actually admit to it in the show. <laughs> yeah. So, but this char- this show has a gay character in it, and they totally address that and acknowledge that, and then they move on. It's kind of <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh let's see. Uh they also have actual trans people in it. Like not just like Japan's weird Okama thing, but like actual people who have transitioned from one to another and they they talk about it. Like there's an episode like me and Basil were talking about it today. There's an episode where uh where they have they're going into spy on an enemy girls team and so they try to dress up like girls. Uh, and most shows would just play this for laughs. Uh, but this show actually takes the question seriously. Yeah. And that's and that's nice. Which is where we, we find out one of the characters is not entirely sure what the deal with their gender is. And that one of the other characters knows an adult trans man <laughs> who's a family friend. <laughs> like, which, which, by the way, that is something I have never seen in... 
in an anime at all. You know, they they sometimes have people who who cross dress and transvestites, but I have never seen one where there's a transition of a female to a male. And and this show has it, and the character is a great character. Uh, he doesn't really do much other than support the main character, but <laughs> but that's good too. That's good enough. But the character exists, has dialogue, and we're introduced to him before we find out he's trans. <laughs> yes. Well, it's also okay, so this is another adult, and this is a story about these middle school kids. Right. So, so going back to what I was saying originally, there are two kinds of sports shows. Right. And in case you haven't figured it out, this show is actually part of the second category, sort of. Where it wants to do something extra, something more, not just sports. For example, like You're Nice having the really good romance B-plot, as it were. I'm also thinking how uh, Mitsuru Dachi does things like touch and mix and cross game. Where you have all these other characters and it's also about them working through things and their struggles and whatnot in life, not just in sport. Yeah, there's... It's more... They are people with problems who also play sports. <laughs> and something I definitely want to mention in this podcast is that Kim Morrissey had a really good interview with the director, Kazuki Akane, on the Anime News Network, which I'll totally link in the show notes. And I really did want to read... His answer for their first question, which was, what sparked the initial idea behind Stars Align? And Kazuki Akane said, and again, this is on the Anime News Network. Before Stars Align, I was working on Code Geass, Ak Akito the Exiled. Code Geass is a work with source material, and including the preparations that took over five years to complete. As I worked on it, my desire to create a story I want to create built up inside me. When I look at anime these days... I find myself wondering, is it possible to create one with a message to convey, and there should be more of that. Personally, I wanted to tell a story, as an adult, about the problems that youths have, to show that their pain is not impossible to understand, that we can experience it together. The generational gap can be overcome. The youths have been told they are to blame for their own problems, but that's wrong. It's not your fault for having problems. I think it's unfair that the youths are always told that they're not good enough according to an arbitrary, arbitrary standard. I wanted to make a drama with a more positive message, and I felt like animation was a good medium to do this through. You see, anime is generally watched by people in their teens and 20s. When those people become adults and interact with young people, with their own children, I feel like they mustn't force adult ideals upon them. These days... I feel a lot of anime is made because people have a very particular idea of what the young people want. It's so disposable, like they're just checking off items on a list. I've been told that the youths don't want to watch a heavy drama, to which I can't help feel but skeptical. Do they really just want to watch amusing and lighthearted diversions every single day? I wanted to prove that wasn't the case, and that's why I decided to try making this anime. Huh. That, well. So we have to take in mind that the show had its number of episodes canceled 
it, it, it had its number of shows cut, it was essentially canceled. H- how was it, Basil? Do you know what its uh, receptive, what its audience reception in Japan was? I don't think it made money. Well, it didn't really make a big splash here either, uh, which is a shame because it's a wonderful show. People should be watching it. But all the same, yeah, it didn't really make a big splash. So maybe he was incorrect. Maybe his venture turned out to not be successful. Maybe kids don't want to watch a heavy drama. Well, they should. This was a really good one. <laughs> it was. I feel like there it was is a really an audience. Good show. I, I'm not sure if the audience found the show, though. <laughs> well, that's. That's part of what I know about its reception here in America is that it was it was very quiet. It was very understated. Uh, if people watched it, they just kind of passingly watched it. But uh, th- there wasn't quite the same hype that you see for other yeah. more shonen types of shows. Uh, I, mean, I, th- I believe Funimation did do a dub, but so far I don't think there's been a home video release. Well, which... and the... And the the portion of anime fandom that's really into, like, but anime is so cerebral also missed this show, despite the fact that this is a significantly more cerebral show, because it got written off as a sports anime. Yeah, I could see that. I'm thinking of things like Ikahara works, like, for example, I, I feel that as much... Which, by the way, Basil, I'm you, you were talking earlier and it made me curious. Sarah's in my... Is it a sports anime? No. <laughs> it is not. It does feature a sport in it, and it's a part of the story. Well, it's but arguably it's not... about boys playing soccer, I mean. Arguably. That is arguably. not the sport they actually play. <laughs> it's a much like... more of a pulling things out of other things <laughs> is the sport for Sarazanmai. But that's a different podcast that we will get to eventually. Uh, out of butts, they pull sh- uh, shikardamas out of butts. Well, you remember that word? Logically accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, okay, we haven't actually talked about the show. I mean, we talked about the show, but the show is about soft tennis, which was actually this, which is a sport. It exists, but it might be one of the most pointless sports ever because and that was chosen intentionally by the director because he wanted a sport that the parents would not be down with their kids playing (laughs) soft tennis is kind of equivalent to like how softball is with baseball where it's a lighter not quite as a heavy ball it's played mostly in asia is As, it played outside of Japan? I was actually under the impression that pretty much only Japan played it. I th- I think it is primarily Japan. But yeah, it's pretty. There are no, there's no professional soft tennis. There's no soft tennis world championship. There's no soft tennis in the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, uh, like at least with so- at least with softball, it gets some degree of recognition. Uh, of recognition like yeah. even like even here in america we get some level of recognition yeah my parents and, are enthusiastic alabama softball fans in fact <laughs> yeah but 
soft tennis really doesn't get that. <laughs> now, I will say, I did double check. Apparently, other places like Taiwan, South Korea, some places in India and Thailand and the Philippines also do play soft tennis. So, it's not just Japan, but it was mostly designed with Japan in mind. Yeah. Uh, Still, it's basically something you only play on, like, the grade school level. Yes. Like, right now, mostly Japanese, like, right now, mostly Japanese schoolgirls play it in, like, 40 or 50 years, like, eventually adult women, Japanese women will play it, but for now, it's just thought of as, like, easy tennis for girls. And this doesn't even have, like, the historical ambiance and tradition that things like Karata has. Where it's a card game, and that's only played in Japan, because it's based off the set of Japanese poems. Look, we did a whole couple of Chalfer episodes. Please listen to those. The people I got for there was amazing. I love Ink and Cory and Jess. But even that at least has this pathos to it that soft tennis just ain't. Don't have. Karuta has a certain literary quality that implies intelligence for from its players. <laughs> well, it's uh, Basil also mentioned it like it's a traditional game. It, yeah. it, it's a game that Japan pretty much only plays it because Japan are pretty much the only people who play it because it was invented in Japan and it's about Japanese literature. Uh, yeah. Soft tennis is really really new. Uh, it, I. Hasn't been around for a whole decade, I don't think. Uh, it was started at the end of the 19th century. So, so like 1990? Yeah. And they eventually 19th, did try to introduce the 19th it. 19th century is the 1800s, guys. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh, my brain is... So, so that's, 18... it's actually older than we think it is. <laughs> oh. That's surprising. That's very surprising. But it's still just, at the end of the day, it's just, it's not considered the same thing as tennis. And it just doesn't have the support and the general interest that tennis does. And so, it sets this up where, if you play soft tennis, it is in fact because you want to play soft tennis. That you find soft tennis fun. Which is in the case of one of our main characters, Toma Shinjo. His older brother was really into soft tennis. Therefore, Toma was is really into soft tennis. Unfortunately, for the Shijo Minami Middle School, their boys, except for Toma, don't actually want to be great at soft tennis. Yeah, he's like yeah. the only one who's into it. Everyone else is using it for a blow-off period. Well, well I, I, no, I would say they're all into it, but they're, they're all into it, but they're all into it, into it as just like a passing kind of thing. Like they are like, into it. Like I am into fighting games. Yeah, I like <laughs> playing fighting games. I have absolutely no qualms playing against other people and losing in fighting games. But I don't have the particular urge to actually really, really, really play fighting games and actually, quote-unquote, get good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is also how I approach fighting games. But <laughs> I think it's how all three of us approach fighting yeah. games. We sort of abstractly like them. <laughs> I like them a lot. I really enjoy Tekken and Samurai Showdown, but I'm not particularly good at either of them. Yeah. I think I recently enjoyed a Soul Calibur. That was pretty nice. And by recently, I mean like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they introduced soft tennis to Japan. Yeah. Because that's how yeah. old we are, y'all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounds right. If we were characters in this show, we'd be hanging out with the parents being side folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God, we would be, wouldn't we? Yeah. I mean, Which... the girls' soft tennis coach is pretty awesome. So the... here's the reason to watch the show. All the characters, all the kids in the, all the boys in the soft tennis club have like problems with their parents or not necessarily with their parents, but they've all got some sort of problem. It usually involves the interactions of their parents, although I, they're not all have, they don't all have terrible parents. Okay. So <laughs> before we really get into the meat of it, we should also point out that Toma's just one character. Yeah. We've also got Maki. Yeah, who's the actual main character, by the way. actual main character? <laughs> but you have to... And you meet Maki first, but Maki and Toma are very much two parts of a whole that makes the core of the show. Like, I mentioned earlier that this was a reference... Uh, the title of the show is a reference uh, to the Tanabata Festival, which... It's totally a thing, and my brain's out blinking on the actual story of the festival. Okay, uh -oh. so the story of the festival is, uh, at some point in midsummer, uh, it changes every year, and I'd have to look it up exactly when it's happening uh, most recently, but in the middle of the summer, we get to the point in the Milky Way where the, where the two stars on either side of the Milky Way come the closest together. Uh, the story has to do with uh, a, a heavenly maiden who is named in the story, but I can't remember the name. Orihime. Uh, she, yes, Orihime uh, gets married to uh, this cattle herder that she yeah, really, really loves. What's his Ikeboshi. name? Yeah. So they get married, and they are just absolutely in love with her, in love with each other. They're so in love with each other that Ikeboshi neglects the cows because he's just doting on his wife all day. And this is a problem because these are the heavenly cows that the gods eat. Uh, so they, they need him to be paying attention to these things. So the punishment for these two lovebirds being totally obsessed with each other is that the gods force them to be apart. So they have to stay on either side of the river that flows through heaven. Except for... And they only get to see each other one day once a year. And that is... When this festival occurs. And so similar to that, Maki and Toma knew each other in like elementary school times. And then for various reasons, Maki had to move away and it was only recently moved back. And they're in the same class and things happen in the first episode where a cat suddenly busts on in. Yo, I'm a cat. I'm going to run around everywhere because I'm a cat. And that's what cats do sometimes. It and, is true. <laughs> and Maki's just like, oh, snap, there's a cat. And just grabs it. Like, in mid-jump. Like, he just like, boom, I got really good reflexes. I'm super athletic. 
I could play any sport if I really wanted to. I just don't want to. I'm I'm Maki. I'm perfect. And he and he is too. Like it's well, he's not perfect, but man, he he's pretty good at whatever he seems to put his mind to. So Toma's like, okay. So uh, recently, also in the first episode, the student council decides that hey, your team sucks. If you cannot win at least just one game, one game this semester in the tournament that you know soft tennis has. You're donezo. You haven't done... Actually, I want to clarify this in her defense. She doesn't even specify in the tournament. She just says one game. Win one game this season. <laughs> Not season. Win one game this semester. And and you'll get your full funding. If not, we're going to have to disband you so that we can give this funding to other, uh, other clubs that where people actually participate. Yeah, it's pretty fair, actually, all things considered. It is, but that is literally how bad they think this team is. And Toma agrees. <laughs> so he 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 begs and pleads Maki several times, hey, please play my team. I think the two of us could really do it and eventually Maki's like fine but I don't want to do it so you're gonna have to pay me for my time <laughs> and Toma's like my parents are rich let's do this <laughs> and so we meet the other members of the team and they all have their own issues and their own play styles and they're every single one are super endearing. Like, yeah, this is a team you cannot help but root for. And apparently when Maki gets serious about something, he gets good at it. He studies it. He figures things out. He's he's a mercenary, but he's a mercenary who gives you what you paid for. Yeah, <laughs> he's being he, he may not just love soft tennis. He may be doing it because he's being paid to do it. But gosh darn it, he's gonna do the best he can by it. Uh, he's gonna help all the. He's gonna help the entire team get better because that increases his chance of getting his payment. And you know, even though he's super new and is basically just learning how the game works, he's uh he pretty quickly grasps the basics and they you know he turns out to be a really good player. I think my favorite of the boys in the tennis club, not counting Yuta, who's the manager. Okay, counting Yuta, who is the manager, it's a, it's a tie between Yuta and Now. Can I talk about why, or do we need to wait for the spoilers for that? Well, we, I think we can mention that Now likes to tell stories. Yes! Now likes to just make up crap. And just, <laughs> and just you know, tell like these really wild and outlandish stories as if they're totally true and normal. Ah, it's pretty great. And he also, and he does it, he also is is a bit of the team airhead, and I and I love that. I think they even call him a space cadet early on. And Yuta is is the club manager. Uh, he gets recruited by Maki, who, because Maki figures out that Yuta has a crush on Toma, and they're both boys, and Yuta's like, oh no, what if you find out? And And Maki's just like, Dude, it's cool. 
why don't you come be the manager? That's the job <laughs> of the manager anyway, is to have a crush on the team captain. I mean, come <laughs> on. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> I just really liked it, where he's like, uh, but, so, yeah, figured it out, he's like, yeah, okay, so? Like, he just, he takes it in such stride that that had to be the world for Yuta. That someone heard him and... Was totally chill about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you need a class on how to react when your friends come out to you, uh, Maki is a pretty good role model. Actually, I, I I really like the artist girl who's, like, Maki's neighbor who just starts watching the tennis club. She starts hanging out with them and drawing them. <laughs> yeah, I really like her, too. I really like her story art. Uh, She's just, her story like, arc I, is also one that I think a lot of artists will be able to relate to. Yeah. And I kind um, of have the element of, I'm not into soft tennis. But I'm intrigued by these sad tennis boys. And so is she. <laughs> so I had an immediate connection there. <laughs> well, okay, so a lot of sports anime tend to be Fujoshi bait. They tend to like they they tend to be like, here's a bunch of attractive young men and they're also cute and adorable and they have such great personalities. Don't you want to love them? Come watch our show and and watch how they don't behave. They behave more like supermodels and professional athletes than they do like actual high school boys. <laughs> uh, and so, in a lot of ways, where she's clearly supposed to be the audience stand-in for the kind of girl who is into the Fujoshi bait, like she's been the target audience of this genre of show that maybe is not necessarily what she's really going through and and into and while she could have been lured into the right direction of this she's being they're, they're just trying to distract her with the bright and shinies is this making any sense it, it does and she's also this artist that has clearly found what she feel is her her, her niche online where she's got a particular art style and she has her own following. Yeah, that's what I was. I, I was wasn't sure if I was, could bring that up now or if I needed to wait until the spoilers. Well, well, things do change while that happens, but she's also this particular personality. Oh, my brain is blinking on that particular. She's a type of dare. <laughs> and I wasn't even thinking of of a dare. Oh, jeez, the um. It's like the too hot to trot, um, really enjoys watching people suffer, thinks they're cooler than everyone else. Gadfly? Maybe. Sadistic? It's, oh, there's a specifically a Japanese term that I'm thinking of that I've heard in fandom before, and I am just <laughs> blanking on it. If you well, know it, awesome. Tell me on Twitter. <laughs> I'm an idiot sometimes. Well, but that's her. So... One of the struggles that she's going through, and I think a lot of artists can really identify with this, uh, she has found a following online of people like who like what she's currently drawing, and what she's currently drawing online is, is Yuri. She's she's drawing girls like like holding hands, and they're they're super hyper stylized, uh, and, and she's already pretty good at that, but. She's actually growing as an artist. What she 
she's looking at the boys and she's drawing like life sketches of them. She's she's drawing them from reality, and and her art style is actually evolving. But as she starts like posting some of that online, she gets huge negative backlash. But what she's posting is technically better than the old stuff. I, I know the two of you don't draw, so I, I suspect you have never done that, but I don't know if there's an equivalent for writing. But that is a thing that happens in art all the time, especially when you're first starting out. When you're first starting out in drawing, it's real easy to kind of like, you start by replicating art styles that you like. And you start saying, oh, well, this is my style. This is just this is just how my art looks as you start incorporating uh, as you start incorporating other styles into it. But the truth is that none of them are really your style, because in order to actually get good, you have to go through this phase where you draw from life. And then once you start once you get good at drawing from life, then you can break it down into your own your own simplistic style. And pretty much everybody who's who's tried to go through who's gone through animation school has done this at some point where the finished product at the end of the day, at the end of the education and everything, it is better than what you are drawing before you went in. But if you already like signed up for deviant art or something or you're already posting your stuff online some people may try to argue with you that it's not as good as your old stuff used to be and that's 100 percent just because what you were drawing was a completely a, a completely like fetishized like super narrow thing it wasn't it didn't have the years it didn't have the experience behind it it doesn't have the technical uh yeah it doesn't have the technical chomps of what you're currently doing. Well, okay. because the, your old, the people who used to look at your art may not, you know, they were kind of used to one thing and they may not always react positively when you start drawing differently. <laughs> the term I was thinking of was chuny. Ah. Uh, was chuny. Like she, that's what she, so she is. She sees herself as really cool and edgy. And she feels very above everyone. Looking, she's like, ha ha ha! I can, I can draw this thigh, and you're all freaking out over it. Oh man, look at you! <laughs> yeah. And then she actually like her heart grows. Yeah. As the show goes on, as 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 do we all. I I also feel like if we're gonna mention favorite characters, I feel that we have yet to mention talk about Tsubasa Soga or Shinjo. Takanuchi, who are our strong guys. The... <laughs> yes, in any other show, one of them would be the prote- would be one of the main protagonists, but they're in this show. Yeah, so now they're just strong, and they each of them thinks that they should be the ace, but they're not. Yeah, but neither of them are the ace. <laughs> I like. What is it? Shin- I think it's Shingo is the one who has the like little sister he's real close with. Yes, 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 yes. And then Tsubasa Soga has the older brothers, and he's part of yeah. a big family. I think Shingo might be one of the only boys that doesn't really have a problem with his home life. Possibly. We also do have Rintaro, who is the vice president of the of the club, and he is very he's a very good vice president. 
who has his well, own issues when, when Maki starts being the best in everything, including <laughs> vice presidency. <laughs> yeah. Well, Subasa is one of those characters of he's just naturally good at everything. But because he's just kind of naturally good at everything, he's never learned how to work hard at something. And that's more or less the crux of his initial pro- uh, of his problem as a vice president is that he had no idea how to help the team be good. Just so we're clear, we're actually talking about Rintaro, not Tsubasa. Uh, uh, oh, that, that, that's what I meant, Rintaro. That's Sorry, fine. We, we, we were talking about we we're talking about Subasa before, and right. No, it totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. But I really just want to point out that Tayo. Ishikami is just really glad to be included. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, like, he's just kind of there in the background, just being, like, happy. <laughs> I do like his tennis style, though. Their kind of confusion foo style with him and his partner, where they just don't play tennis at all like they're supposed to, and they confuse their enemies into defeat. <laughs> And I suppose it also should be pointed out that in this show, everything, all the matches for soft tennis are doubles matches. Oh, yes, yes. Everyone has a partner. Doubles so matches. So it's not even singles. It's it's soft tennis doubles boys. <laughs> like... And of course, when Mackie comes in, he changes up every everybody's partners because they have to incorporate him in there. And he's like, you're all playing with the wrong people. You should play with these guys. It turns out he's right, but... <laughs> well, he he based that opinion off of... He really watched them all play. He watched their play styles. And he really did the research on how people should pair up. And so he came up with these strategies of, of how they would play uh, based off their personalities. Because uh, the difference, the key difference between doubles and singles is teamwork. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really important thing to talk about in this show, that the fact that it is all doubles and it's all about teamwork, because this is also a story about, due to things in their family life, every single one of these young boys needs someone to lean on. They all need partners in life. And so I think this is an excellent chance to take a break and come back with spoilers. So we're back with Stars Align, a show by Studio 8-Bit, directed by Kazuki Akane. I don't think we mentioned this in this recording, but that Studio 8-Bit is a studio that was developed by a lot of former Satellite members. Satellite was a studio very much, I don't know, straight up founded, but definitely heavily influenced by the works of Shoji Kawamori. Yeah, it's Shoji Kawamori's studio. It, it is. And again, Soji Kawamori was the writer part of the team, along with Kazuki Akane, 
directing the Vision of Escaflone. So it was, it made a lot of sense that, of course, a lot of folks that used to work with Shoji Kamui would be the ones to be like, yeah, let's use the stars align. And apparently also Kazuki Akane did say that they're all really good at drawing and animating things. So he definitely wanted to make sure that they animated the absolute ever-loving crap out of this show, and they did. And it's awesome. Including moments, like in the end of the first episode, when poor Maki gets the crap beat out of him by his dad. Ah, uh, yes. The, the What makes this a sad boys playing tennis show, instead of just boys playing tennis show? Yeah, yeah. so Maki's dad is a good-for-nothing, abusive alcoholic. Yeah, he's he's kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> just <laughs> straight up. Who I think is also him. voiced in Japanese by the same guy who's the no good abusive alcoholic guy in Sars and Mai. <laughs> well, it's I'm glad he has a type, but <laughs> hopefully he gets to play other things sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, we mentioned the not so spoilery section that they have issues with their parents. Oh, they got issues with their parents. Yeah. Now, Maki's mom, she's great. (laughs) Except that she's also a terrible victim of abuse. Or a victim of terrible abuse. I'm... Oh, now I'm blanking. Are they actually divorced? I think so, or definitely separated, and he's technically not supposed to know where she is. Well, that's sort of the thing. There's a big, big, big problem with, like, Japanese parental rights laws. With basically, because he's Mac- Maki's father, he can just basically ask for information about him, and they kind of have to give it to him. Yeah. Yeah, so when whenever she registers where she's living, whenever she registers where she's living, you know, she also has to register that her son is living there with her too. Uh, and then like Kevin said, all the guy has to do is go and ask, where is my son living? And, and they have to tell him because yeah, there's some bad parental rights laws. in Japan, <laughs> And that is why, you know, for example, his mom is always working because she has to not only make enough money for, herself and her son, Maki, but also to constantly funnel money to this deadbeat dad so he doesn't constantly be abusive, even though he is. Randomly walk in and, you know, take money. And he may or may not beat up one or both of them at the the time. (laughs) Just depending on how shitty his day is, I guess. (laughs) And he's not, like, Toma has his own issues with his... God, I, I, I hate his mom so much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, it's like, more I'm like... I'm not even... I, I can't... I can't even fully understand what her problem is. Like, her problem seems so strange to me that I can't even wrap my head around it. The problem is basically that she doesn't like her own son. Like, she just doesn't like him. Like, she doesn't like him as a person. Like, they just don't get along. They have uh, they have conflicting personalities. But she has really ratcheted this up to like, a, to, like, 11. Like, it's not just like, oh, you know, we kind of don't get along or we kind of butt heads at the dinner table. Like, she act 
actively does not like him. Like, she likes his older brother, and his older brother likes him, but Bob does not like him. I, I honestly, I think the mom has a complex for the older brother, Ryoma. Really? Well, if you notice, the whole... Man, we're really going to the deepest point, but whatever, it's spoiler section. At the, in the last episode, she says, oh, oh no, I am divorcing my husband because I hate you, Toma, so much, but I like Ryoma, so I'm going to take him and live with Ryoma. And you can just stay with your dad. Like, yeah. she is always, and she always supported Ryoma, like, when he was doing all the soft tennis stuff, she supported him like crazy. And I think that's a part of Toma's problem is that he looks up to his brother, A, because his brother's cool, but also because that's who's getting all the love from his mom. Mm. Mm. Who is just the worst. I am, mm, like... Yeah. Yeah, <sighs> like I said, it's it's so bad that I don't even... that I have a hard time even understanding how a mother could treat her own son that way like she's not she's not physically abusive she just I'm I'm not even sure like this is a form of emotional abuse like 100% this is a form of an emotional abuse but it's not really that she's emotionally abusive like she doesn't sit there and try to manipulate him just like withholds all possible affection (laughs) yeah it's more like emotional abandonment Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bad. I actually hate her more than Itsuki's mom, who we also forgot to talk about Itsuki in the non-spoiler section, I'm now realizing, who is... Several boys here. Oh. There's a lot of boys. He's the the one with the little sadistic streak. Well, Itsuki, I actually have a lot of sympathy for his mother, because his mother was clearly suffering from postpartum depression, and since they don't talk about that in Japan, yeah, uh, it makes it very hard to treat, and it makes it very hard for people to come to terms with. Like, she was feeling crazy after her second baby, which is when, uh, if you don't know, postpartum depression typically hits a lot harder after the second baby than after the first. But... It hits her hard, and she does something unspeakable. Which we're in the spoiler section, so I guess we'll speak about it. I, I mean, it's terrible. Uh, she pours uh, boiling hot water onto her baby's back. Like, he still has burn scars over a good bit of his body. Yeah. Oh gosh, and I don't remember the story. Like, I don't remember if she kind of came to and realized what a terrible thing she had done, and she called... Uh, and she called uh, for help, or if, or if, or if somebody sister. else stepped in. What's that? Or if it was his elder sister. That I'm not. All we know is that she doesn't live with the family anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's a bit self conscious about his scars. Yeah. And who can blame him? But you know he's. <laughs> and, oh gosh, like teasing in Japanese schools, like. Uh, the the kids go after like the kids like like it shows that other uh, other boys at the school like they overhear it they talk about it and they use it as a method of ridicule like kids are awful kids are awful I I'm not sure if, yeah 
part of me wanted to be like, Japanese kids are awful, but kids are awful. Just in yeah. general. So, so Itsuki's, uh, Itsuki's, uh, mother, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like Itsuki's mother, it's more, I wouldn't, it's not excusable, because it's never excusable to do that to your it's baby. It's tragic, though. Yes, it's, I have much more sympathy for her, and, and I think that she doesn't, like, necessarily, like, hate her son or anything. She just... It's easier uh, to understand the why of it. Yeah. She, her, her brain chemistry was not right. And, and a terrible thing happened. But Toma's mom has had time. Like, it's no longer postpartum depression at this point. Like, whatever it is, she's had time to be better, to get help or, or something. And she has done nothing. Her solution is to divorce the father so that she can have the oldest son to herself. And she doesn't have to be around that terrible younger son who, for some reason, she just doesn't like. I mean, yeah. he does have a little bit of an anger problem, but it, he ne it never seems like he takes his anger out on people. He just gets angry. Yeah. Like, the worst thing he does is occasionally he'll, like, kick a trash can or throw his racket to the ground in anger, and that's about it. Like, for anger management issues, he's actually got it clamped down pretty well. Well, like, he could stand to work on his anger issues. Like, he would probably benefit from going and, and doing, like, from reading, like, a self-help book. Does that make any sense? Like, I don't know that he, he needs full-on therapy, but he, he does need to do something to get, like, the actual anger under control. Well, let's settle, you know, let's point out now, all these kids need therapy. Like, <laughs> yeah. they all do need therapy. I was just saying that Toma's anger management issues are in no way on a scale that should make his mother hate him. Right. Like, not even close. And then you have other things, like, for example, with Rintaro, who is an adopted kid. And he's never really gotten to meet his actual mom. And so, while he is absolutely loved by his adopted parents, there's still that... You, you kind of wish, what, why... Who, what were the reasons? Which really gets to him when... Like he, he is kind of self-conscious that he's adopted. Yeah. Even though he otherwise gets along great with his adopted parents, they support him, treat him good, you know. Which is why I think he has his own issues when Maki, who is whatever he puts his mind to... Except for when his dad's around, he will. He's an awesome cook. He's very athletic. He starts really, really looking into things like what kind of regimens do they need for exercising, setting up the pairs. He's doing all the things that Rintaro, as the vice president, was doing. And even when Rintaro has ideas of his own, when he gets the courage to mention the Toma, Maki starts talking to Toma first. And Toma's like, oh boy, Maki's talking. Maki's great. Maki's what I'm... He's my ace in the hole, so he's always listening to Maki. 
So Rentoro, who already feels self-conscious about himself, is now feeling more useless or more not what he's not, supposed not doing his he, job. He's not he's worthless. He he's already feeling like an outsider because of his family situation. So this is just all kind of exacerbating that. Right. Yes. And, and of course, Maki, once he realizes what's going on, is like, oh, no, 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 Rintar, we totally want you, you're, you're a part of this team. Oh, my God, no, that's not what I meant. Like, I felt bad for Maki at that point. That was, that poor guy. Let's see. Soka, his problems aren't quite so bad. It's that he wanted to play tennis with his friends, and his father was annoyed because, by gum, he should be playing soccer like the other his other boys. You could be in a real sports anime if you played soccer, son. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, your that's brothers his deal. Are, your brothers are both going to are both going to college on scholarships for playing soccer. You know, nobody's going to give you a scholarship for playing soft tennis. Uh, but, like it, you know, that part of it, part of it seems to be that his dad that he seems to be wanting to play a soft tennis in order to rebel against his dad, which, you know, it's not really that much of a rebellion. No, but when you're a middle school kid, I'm sure it still feels huge. Yeah. And then there's Shin, uh, Shingo, you know, Takanuchi, who does have his young sister, and they don't seem to have that too many problems but later on in the show, when she visits the club, that's when we really start seeing what's going on with now. Oh, now. I love is, now. I love is, him so much. He's got a real satellite mom, though. Oh, yeah, I hate his mom, too. Like, she's almost like the opposite of Toma's mom. Like, she's too invested to the point of being way too controlling. Yeah. yeah. Like she wants to micromanage every aspect of his life. And if she doesn't think it's worthwhile for his future studies or, you know. You know, I I made that joke with the other with the other character about, you know, your brother's got scholarships. You, you know, what college is going to give you a scholarship for soft tennis? I I I think that might actually be a line that she says only minus the part about brothers because he's an only child. You know, you can only be that crazy about one child, <laughs> which doesn't mean that every mother of one child is that crazy. Just that this one is. And the episode we're on, the young sister visits the club and, and now has a break. And it reminded me of the moment that when they showed Itsuki's backstory and now is clearly out of it and he's annoyed at the sister and you don't know what has happened is one of the most chilling moments I can think of in recent watching stuff history. Uh, could you clarify that a little bit? I don't really know what you meant. In the episode where Anna's visiting now like he's been been beaten up by his mom mentally so much. Oh, yeah. He's starting to... Oh, I'm bad with these words. Disassociate? Yes. Yes. He is starting to do that. 
and he's seeing the little sister as a problem that he needs to fix. And oh, it, yeah. And it really reminded me of when they showed the mom of Aitsuki before she grabs the boiling water. Yeah. It's very, it's played out very similar ways. Oh, yeah. We, like, I was, now I know what you're saying. Yeah, I, I was worried that he had, he had done something. And this show doesn't pull punches. This show shows punches. Like one of the reasons that he wanted to show this in anime form, the director did, because he won, he felt that he wouldn't get the kind of impact he wanted with Maki's dad laying out Maki. Like the moment that episode one, when the, when the action happens and, and Maki gets you know punched and, and is laid out by his dad, he felt he could have the most impact. Like you know, he didn't think live action could really show it off and be just as leave as much of an impression as something doing it in animation. So I have already learned, you know, kids are getting punched and kicked in boiling water. This little kid could die. Yeah. He, I, I believed it. He, he, I, I was worried. <laughs> I was scared. Uh, since this is the spoiler section, relax. The little kid doesn't die. He simply doesn't tell anybody where the little kid is. Yeah, yeah he just locks the door and is like, alright, I'm good. <laughs> Problem solved. She's in a bed sleeping. I don't gotta do nothing. I'm now, hey, you wanna go meet the fairies? <laughs> I know where all the cool fairies are. <laughs> yep. I love now. I feel for him. I really do. Uh, and also, spoiler, they totally went, I think, a couple of games. Yeah. They at least no, went, because they actually get to, like, the finals. Okay, so the thing is, is they're, they're told that you have to win... You have to win a match. It's not actually just a game. It's it's a match. Or is it a game? No, no, I don't well, know. It is, it is, sorry. It is a match because a match is five games. Yes. Like, you have to win a set of five games. Because the scoring for tennis is weird and super redundant. Um, yeah. And I learned that watching this show. <laughs> which and, by the way i was forced to take tennis as a kid and i still <laughs> didn't know how the scoring for tennis really worked until watching this show uh we should also mention there are some other teams as well and they yeah. also have awesome characters i forget the name of the hot-headed guy who ends up also more or less becoming a hanger on our current team because yeah, Maki's really up. good at cooking Keep showing up to eat Mackie's food, and yeah, I just remember there was the one team that had the two twins named Riku and Sora, and I'm like, ah, somebody's parents are Kingdom Hearts fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good. <laughs> uh, and then the last moment of the last episode. Ah! The reason why we really, really want there to be more of this. 
okay, so let me let me build up, let me recap what is going on with the Maki struggle. Because we've talked about Maki's dad like like slapping him and beating him, uh, and binner and generally being an abusive shitbag. But he's also extorting money from Maki's mother is is what he's doing that is so terrible. Uh and she knows about it and she leaves money for him. Like her hope is that like if he comes in and he sees the money on the table that he'll just take the money and go and that and she will, and he won't bother them. Uh, unbeknownst to her, Maki is hiding the money. And so the dad always has to beat up Maki in order to convince Maki to give him the money uh that his wife is paying him so that he will leave them alone. Uh, and he's also, I'm pretty sure, taking the money that Maki's earning for being on the team. Like, I think he's just coming in just taking all the money that's there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Maki eventually, eventually opens up to, show, to, to Toma about it. And uh, and some something happens or other, uh, and the dad ends up breaking Maki's racket, and Maki has to tell Toma about it. And Toma shows up, and Toma like throws a bunch of money at the at the dude's face, and is like, "Uh, leave my friend alone, leave my friend alone, or else I'll kill you." And you know because he's got th- those anger problems, uh, and the dad is obviously not scared of this teenage boy um and he has some some cross retaliation words of his own but uh it basically ends up the the dad the dad just leaves with the threat of i'm gonna show up around my son again and you can't stop me um but toma thinks that he's driven him off for now well he doesn't drive him off for now and in the end, Maki goes and he gets a knife. And the last scene of the last episode is Maki showing up with the knife in hand to his father's apartment. And that's it. That's just the end. That's the end of the series as far as we know. There's no idea what happens next. Well, there's a little... Now, there is a little bit of idea. There is... A vague sousan, a hint of idea, because they did put together a, quote, special fan animation that is like two minutes and sort of gives us, in my opinion, what they were kind of hoping to get it with 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 the second core, the, the second set of 12, as it were, the second half of the show. Where and I will put we'll put a link to that as well because it's just on YouTube. It starts off with a little recap animation with the with the music and stuff, and the music's very good and the animation's good. And but then we get the special fan mu- uh, fan movie, and we find out it takes place two years later. We see that Rentaro and Taiyu are are trying to start their own soft tennis club in high school. And then Maki's like, y'all, it's fine. He, he just doesn't want to see me. And then it cuts to, like, Toma and this new partner in these different outfits. And you can clearly see a scar on Toma's arm. Where 
he is just really annoyed at his partner and he just wants to go find somebody else. And I believe that's when they show a shot of him looking across the road and they see each other again. And that's it. So we know all the kids are around. Yeah. Some of them are not, are apparently not playing tennis anymore, and it vaguely implies that they might miss it. Yeah, well, they also show, like, now, like, definitely with the, the disassociated face, and also, like, bandages on his knuckles. So, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it was just enough to be like, uh, okay, well, they're fine, I guess. But we don't know what happened with Maki and the knife, except Toma's got this scar now. So that's something. But we don't know exactly what it is. And, uh. Yeah, like, we need that other season, and we don't know if we're going to get it. <laughs> I know that there was a second interview done uh-huh. with Energy's Network, and it was more or less. Man, it was one of the most disheartening things when they, you know, Kazuki Kane was asked, or he asked, so, do, do, do you think it did well? Did, did y'all like it? Did, what do y'all want to watch? What 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 would sell? <laughs> um, <sighs> like, uh, I, I feel like this was, like, I think this is a show that they pour their heart and souls into. And I, I think the studio, the team, you know, the director, they got hurt. Because I'm sure, I'm absolutely positive that this special fan movie was like them grabbing like, you know, the cocktail napkins, whatever they could, just to, you know, hey, let's get the, the voice actors in, at least for like a minute. You know, let's say there's like this, the 15 seconds of lines, like it was... Man. Just just to give us a hint of what they wanted to do. Well, the whole the whole work is just a little bit understated. It speaks very softly. Uh I I do think there is obviously a lot of heart and a lot of soul poured into it. Uh it's also beautiful to watch. Um you know, the the palette is a very it's a very light palette. Uh, they use very soft colors. It's not bright and flashy and in your face. It's yeah, it's, it's very good. soft for the soft tennis. It's good. Uh, it's ju- it's just good. Uh, and I think I think that it has a hard time. It had a hard time grabbing immediate attention. I think it will. I think it will continue to as, as more people like as more people who like good things watch it like and they tell their friends oh this was really good uh i i think it will i think it will continue to get like a better and better reputation because it is such a good it is such a good work of art and 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 a good story and it does have a lot to say uh but i think it wasn't flashy enough to catch immediate attention and I also do want to apologize for, like, in the Nafo section, I realized now I totally, I, I goofed and I straight up referred to Yuta as him 
and they don't quite know what they are just yet. They're still working things through and seeing that stated, like, my jaw dropped. Yeah, I, I really... <laughs> that episode is, which I think is, like, episode eight or thereabouts. Yeah. That's where I literally first heard this show existed after that episode happened. Where I, And I believe this was also stated in the interview. They actually asked the director about this. And he was, again, he was mentioning how he knew about the whole trope of dressing up and the clothes and blah, blah, blah. But he always felt it was weird and how everything was played for laughs. And then someone brought up trans folks and their their deal and how they had to deal with life. And he is like, oh, shoot, that's OK. Hold up. Stop the presses. I got to go. And he found folks to talk to. He did research. He discovered this was a, this was like, these were things in existence that he just had no clue about, I don't think. And he really wanted to make sure that it was presented as well as they could pull it off. So instead of your usual gag, oh, the boys have to dress up like girls, antics ensue. It's like, just like they're, kind of chill about it it's like you know use like you know this might actually be cool sometimes i don't know i'm figuring things out <laughs> and maki is really supportive it's like oh yeah 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 my mom's friends like you know like that you know it's like <laughs> well they also talk about passing and not passing yeah like it, how you know if a boy dresses up like a girl he doesn't just look like a girl, just and everybody mistakes him for one, you know. So, so while they're wearing it as, a, so while they're wearing this disguise, they do, uh, they are mindful of, they are mindful of, uh, the fact that only like one, only one of them, and only one of them actually looks like a girl, and the actual girl that they have with them, and so those two people kind of run like interference for the others. Yeah. Uh, so that nobody gets a real good look at the other two, and I thought th that is not a, that is not a level of nuance that anime usually takes with it. Uh, they and also so they don't just mention transgender, but also like non-binary or ex-gender, as they like to say in Japan. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's not it's just a thing and an episode, but it's like. Wow, this is so much more representation and intelligent discussion of the subject than you usually get. <laughs> so, yeah, stars align. It's it's a good show, and we're gonna take another break real quick, and uh, we're gonna come back. We do have questions, so we're going to answer these questions. And we are back with questions from internet folks like you. You mean internet folks like Charlie? Well, well mostly Charlie. Also, we have a we had a message from Matt. 
Oh, oh, good. We we got some non-Charlie questions. I love Charlie questions, but they're Charlie questions. It's true. <laughs> like, for example, the first question from Charlie, what's so great about it? <laughs> Second question. We've covered wh- that. Why should I watch it? Hopefully we've covered that. What's okay, anime? Not... Okay, there it is. <laughs> There's what's... the Charlie question. What's anime? Uh... That's a very good question, Charlie, and would probably take more time than we have to go into. Suffice to say, it can be a hotly debated topic. It's Japanese animation. Yes. Okay. Basil. That's actually, yeah. I, you know, okay. Basil yeah. just defined it. There you go. I, I, was, I was trying to make it sound like more than it was, but yeah, no, Basil got it. <laughs> what is soft tennis? I hope. <laughs> Watch the show. <laughs> it's is it tennis with a softer ball. Okay, what was the question? Is it Marxist? That's an interesting question. What do you guys think? <laughs> no, it's a sport. Uh, but but doesn't the creation of the material itself create the demand for it? <laughs> I wish it created demand for it. Yeah, right. I... Okay, I, I would hazard it attempts to be Marxist, but it fails at it. Much like Marxism, just kind of in general. Oh, we just lost our Marxist audience. <laughs> well, we still have Matt at Kappa underscore Matty. And his message was hype for this. Stars Align was such a, for lack of a better word, peculiar show. That's and not a question. It's, well, no, I, I did ask for questions and comments. And so he did give me a comment. Yes, and, Matt. I agree. It is a peculiar show. Uh, it's so peculiar because it, it it runs this level of normalcy on the surface, but it is anything but. I, I, I think the word, if we had to give a word to this show, I think you said it earlier with nuanced. Yes. Yes, I think nuanced is is the right word for this show. It looks like it's slow moving, but there's a whole lot of moving parts going on that you you just don't realize from far away. It's not until you get up close that you see how complex it is. It's it's an iceberg. You see the tiny little bit sticking out, and it's, it's there's so much under the water. <laughs> yeah. So is that all? Yeah, I think that was it as far as that went. So really, the questions are... How many awesomes out of awesome do you want to give this show? Can I give it love out of awesome? <laughs> yeah, I mean you can. That, that's that's Very, I mean, remember there's no yeah, actual answer to this. The points I think are made I'll give up it l- a... I think I'll give it love out of awesome. <laughs> oh, that's uh oh crap, I got nothing. <laughs> I just got break I, I kind of want to give it best TV show of 2019 out of awesome. Suck it, Demon Slayer. Oh, well, yeah, I really like Demon Slayer, but yeah, this is a better show. Like of ni- 2019. Yeah, maybe well, I don't have to put it up against Azoken because that would be a whole other. <laughs> no, I think Azoken was a 2020 show. I think it started in January, didn't it? Right. Yeah. So we're, yeah. it was it was it was it was the last good thing in this world before we went into the actual <laughs> 2020s. The COVID yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, nice. Nice, sad tennis boys of awesome. 
<laughs> there you go. I want to give all of them a hug. I really do. Yeah. And I don't mean, well, not all of them. There's a, there's, there's some moms I definitely do think need some hugs. Yeah. And some moms who I'm not sure if they, I don't think they need some hugs. They need, they need someone to give them a stern talking to. Well, and everybody the needs therapy. And yeah. everybody needs therapy. That's what I'd really like to give all the boys. I'd like to give them all therapy. Everybody <laughs> needs therapy out of awesome. There we go. We yeah. finally... <laughs> <laughs> the definitive ranking of this show. Wait. All right, folks. This has been the Awesome Cast, your podcast for everything awesome. I've been Basil. Along with me on this journey has been Kevin and Doug. Thank y'all very much for talking with me. Also, thanks so much to my wonderful wife, Anna, who is editing all this together. You're the best, and I love you. And I'm absolutely not forgetting to mention you this time. Go me. Don't forget Colin. Also, Colin, who is currently being a very good boy. Oh, no, he wasn't. He was a terrible dog today. (laughs) I I meant just for this recording session. Oh, yes. For this recording session, he's been pretty good. <laughs> After a day of swings and misses. Speaking of dogs, our theme song is done by DJ Inubito. You can find his stuff at Inubito.com or Twitch uh, Twitch slash Inubito. Also, props to our pals, Mike and John. John is our wonderful interview guy. Mike's his buddy, and together they fight crime. And by crime, I mean they Twitch video games at these are video games and so until next time thank y'all for listening we're out Kazakh